0: Here at PCC, uh, we strive to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ. And uh, I'm excited about today on multiple levels, lots of different reasons. It's great to be together. It's great to sing and worship together. It's great to have the opportunity to uh, see new faces, to reconnect with uh, familiar faces as well. It's great to have the opportunity to to give away another financial gift today. We're going to talk about that at the end of the service, just excited about that. Today, we jump into week two of our series going through uh, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is uh, an amazing book, an amazing letter that holds so many beautiful messages as to why we should not only believe in Jesus, but why we should put our faith and our hope and our trust and our confidence in him. Resting in his grace and resting in his love and walking in relationship with him is something that that we continually talk about because it's so important in our lives, in our everyday life. Uh, This book... Uh, The book or the letter of Hebrews is built around this one idea that we touched on last week that Jesus is better better than anything else out there, better than anyone else out there. Not only is Jesus better than the prophets and angels and Moses and priests, but this letter goes on to explore how Jesus is better uh, in, in various ways of helping us, how growing is better than stagnation, and how the new covenant is better than the old covenant, how faith is better than law, and how enduring or remaining faithful is better than quitting. Uh, last week, we did the overview of the book of Hebrews, and as I said, it was like uh, drinking from a fire hose, right? There's so much information to take in, but the main way we did that was through uh, the video from The Bible Project, and this is kind of their closing screen on that. It's all that information that we took in, and I had several people ask about that. If you have not seen the the video yet, you can go to thebibleproject.com, and you can look this one up and others. There's several great videos there for you to to check out, and I really want to encourage you to do that. What we did was we watched the video and then we took a step backwards and we went through the first three verses of, verse, of chapter one. We went on to see how God has spoken. That was our theme last week. How this, uh, this should be an amazing and life-altering truth that God spoke to us. He chose to speak to us through his son. The creator God, the living God, chose to speak through us, to reveal to us his nature, to share with us who he is, to share his his love and his grace. And he offers us an invitation to walk in relationship with him that begins today and blends into eternity. It's the type of thing where we can receive life and life to the full, the forgiveness of our sins. And this means all of these things are so amazing in our life if we just slow down long enough to receive them. And because God has spoken, He's demonstrated his love to us through his son. We should probably listen to him, right? And we need to listen to him because of who he is. The identity of Jesus, Uh, from the very beginning of this letter, uh, the author is telling us that Jesus is better than any other option that's out there. He just simply is. How Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. When we're looking at God, we are seeing Jesus. And how Jesus is the exact representation of God. That means when we see Jesus, we are seeing the imprint of God. The whole idea is when you see God, you see Jesus. When you see Jesus, you see God. You see them in the same. These three verses point us in that direction, and they set us up for the rest of this letter. Today, we're going to be exploring uh, very quickly the first two chapters of this letter. And the focus is going to be on this main thought that we're going to land on today, that Jesus is better than angels. Now, I don't know if that's a big thing for you to think about Jesus being better than angels or angels being better than Jesus, but it's where the author begins and there's a reason for that. Look at verse four. The author begins by saying this, so he became as much superior to the angels. Now, to be really transparent, talking about angels is not something I do very often from up here, right? I mean, I've been here a while. Anybody else heard me do a a sermon on angels? Exactly. It doesn't happen, right? We don't talk about angels very often. I'm not particularly comfortable doing that. Now, if you want to talk about the Anaheim angels or angels in the outfield or even hell's angels, I could probably hold my own on those topics, right? We could have a good conversation about that. But when we're talking about angel angels, it's a little bit elusive for me. Uh, angels are part of our vernacular. It's kind of a, a normative part of our culture. I actually, had someone come in this morning and, and tell me they found one of those pennies that we lost a few weeks ago, right? If you remember that, if you were here, and someone said to them, "Oh, that means your guardian angel is there," and I'm like, "Oh, that's plays into what we're talking about today, right?" We talk about angels. There's movies out there, Angels and Demons, starring Tom Hanks. If you've seen it or not, Jack Graham wrote a book, Angels: Who They Are, What They Do, and What My Bible Reveals, or What the Bible Reveals. People hold on to this idea that we have a guardian angel, that each one of us has a guardian angel that that is walking with us and protecting us along the way. Uh, Christian author Randy Alcorn kind of supports that idea, whereas Wayne Grudem in his uh, book, Systematic Theology, he doubts that's the case. But regardless of of your thoughts or your views on angels, the author here says, uh, you know what? Jesus is superior to angels. And for the sake of clarity, what's an angel? Well, an angel is simply a messenger or a servant. That's how they are defined. But why does the author even take the time to say Jesus is better than angels? Why does he do that? Or why does the author do that? Well, it probably has to do with the audience's historical view of angels, as well as the the various branches of the Jewish community that held a very high view of angels. If you remember from the overview last week, uh, the there was a belief in the Jewish tradition, and it stated that the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the words of God, they were delivered to Moses on Mount Sinai by angels. They brought the message. They were messengers. Along with this. One branch of Judaism, the Essenes, they believed that in the last days, as in the end of the world, last days at the end of time, that those times were upon them during the time this was written, and that the angels were going to be the ones to usher in the reign and kingdom of God. That's what they believed. But here, the author wants the audience to know that Jesus is better that Jesus is greater. Jesus is superior to the angels. And so in chapter one, verses four through 14, we see the author quote seven different scripture passages from the Old Testament. And in these 11 verses, we see five things that kind of jump out at us that explore this idea of Jesus being better than the angels. And then if you, when you get to chapter two, There's this warning uh, to hold fast to the salvation that is offered in Christ, not in angels, along with four more Old Testament references and continue to express how Jesus is superior to the angels. So you can see we've got a lot of ground to cover in a short period of time. So you ready? Let's buckle up and go. Let's dive into the text and see how Jesus is better than the angels. The first way the author describes how Jesus is better than the angels is through his, his name. Look at verse 4 again in its entirety. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Uh, Names are and continue to be very important to Jews, and, and even to many of us, right? We talked about this, uh, it's been a while back, what our different names mean and why we were named what we are, were named. Uh, names represent different things. They represent who maybe who we were named after or there's a significance to our name. There are many names in the Bible used to describe God. Jehovah Jireh, which means my provider, Elohim, the strong one, El Shaddai, almighty, the great I am, Jehovah Shalom, God of peace, just, just to name a few, and there's so many more. In the scriptures, we find three different uh, angels who are mentioned by name. There's the archangel Angel, uh, Michael, which means leader, who is like God. There's uh, Gabriel. Am I saying that right? Gabriel. Sorry, my emphasis got on the wrong syllable there, uh, which means the great one, and then Lucifer, which means morning star. Uh, When it comes to Jesus, we take his name, which is what the author is focused on here, and his name means Jehovah saves or God saves. Even in his very name, we see the purpose for his ministry, which is to bring salvation to the lost. This is something that the angels could never do. Even in his name, The very name of Jesus points to the fact that Jesus is superior to the angels in his name, which is very significant to the audience and to us as well. The second point that the author makes as to how Jesus is better than the angels is because he is God's son, and this is no small thing, right? Look at verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Now, here's where we find the first uh, two Old Testament quotations. The first is from Psalm 2-7. This psalm is referring to the Lord anointed, the Messiah being on the throne, and Yahweh God calling the Son God, my Son, right? This, this is the idea of calling Jesus God's Son. And this is not the only place we see this. We find this in other passages in the New Testament, including uh, Luke when he quotes the, from this very same passage in Acts 13:33. And then in Romans 1:4 Paul writes, "and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord." That is who is the son. The second reference is from verse in verse 5 is taken from 2nd Samuel chapter 7 verse 14. This particular text has direct application to David's son Solomon. And since the Messiah would come from the line of David, this reference, uh, this application, is transferred to Jesus, as he, too, is considered a son of David. He, he's called the Son of David by uh, Mark in, in Mark 10:47, and John in John 7:42. Then we read the account of Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter three, and we see God himself proclaims, "This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased." No angel was ever called son." This title was reserved for Jesus and Jesus alone. Angels are messengers. Angels are servants. They are subject to, and they serve Jesus. We read about them doing that in Matthew chapter 4. The point that the author is making here is that Jesus is not an angel. That is something that they were proclaiming. Some people during that time are proclaiming, and it's it's something that a couple mainline denominations even proclaim today, that Jesus is an angel, but He's better than the angels. Why? Because he is God's son. He's God's son. And the third point the author goes on to make is he is worshiped even by angels. Look at verse 6. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Now, this Old Testament reference is from the Septuagint version of Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. And what we see is that the angels are to worship Jesus. Uh, We know from Revelation 22 that angels are not to be worshiped. We see in Acts chapter 10 that Peter refuses to be worshiped. He's like, no, don't do that. Scripture points to this idea that created things are never to be worshiped. If it's created, we don't worship. And this is significant. Because Jesus receives worship. Think about the the Jesus you know, the Jesus that's been revealed to us and how he received worship. He received worship from the wise men in Matthew 2 from the leper in Matthew 8, from the ruler in Matthew 9, from his disciples in Matthew 14, from the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, from the man born blind in John chapter 9, just to name some of the, of the top ones there. Even when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, the people were waving the palm branches, right? And what were they saying? Hosanna in the height! They were praising. They were worshiping Jesus as he was coming into Jerusalem. Jerusalem, and what happened? Well, the religious leaders didn 't take too kindly to that, so they said to Jesus, You need to tell them to stop. They need to stop this because only God is to be worshipped and Jesus invokes this image of isaiah fifty five twelve when he said, If they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. Jesus was worshipped, and he was worthy of worship he 's the one that we are to worship, not angels, not anything else or anyone else." Because Jesus is better. Number four, he will rule for, forever. Uh, verses eight and nine are taken from Psalm forty five, six and seven. That's an easy one to remember, right? Psalm four five six seven. That's where it's taken from. And the point the author makes by using this text is that Jesus is one with God, and God is with Jesus, and because they are one, they will rule together forever. The same idea is reinforced in Hebrews chapter two, verse eight, where it says, "And put everything under his feet," which is a reference to Psalm chapter eight. Now, remember last week during the overview, uh, during the video, they said, "Every other verse is an Old Testament reference? It is so true, right? How many Old Testament references have I gone to already? And we 're not even done yet, right? It goes back because, remember, they're referring back, the author is writing to a Jewish audience who knows the Torah, who knows the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament. They called it, you know, the Scriptures, right? But they know it, and so the author is referring back to it. He's re- referring back to the, part, the point that the eternal reign of Jesus is there. Daniel uh, talks about that. He says his kingdom will never be destroyed, Uh, The the angel told Mary in Luke 1.33 that his kingdom will have no end. Paul says in Colossians 1.13 and and John says in Revelation 1.9 that he's writing about God's kingdom, about Jesus' kingdom. You see, Jesus is not only God's representative coming to reveal the nature and the characteristics of God. He is, in fact, God himself. He is sovereign and he is ruler over all creation. Which brings us to the fifth point that the author makes here in this text, that Jesus is better than the angels because he is creator. If you have your Bibles, look at verses 10, 11, and 12. The text says this. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. Now, What I found interesting about that is we read that, right, in our context, in our society, in our world today. We read that and we're like, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, because we know kind of the whole story at this point. Mainly because we believe that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the three in one, you know, the Trinity. We kind of have that idea. But but for the author to proclaim that Jesus was there at creation, it would have been blasphemy to a lot of the people who were listening to this unless it were true. The author quotes from Psalm 102, which addresses God and his covenant with Moses, and it applies the same importance to Jesus and his covenant over all creation. And the author is trying to say, look, Jesus is better. And he's better because he was there at creation. He, he's not only better than the angels in his name, he's God's son, he's worthy of worship, he will reign forever, but he created all things. And because of that, he is worthy of everything we give to him, and he is worthy of our worship. And that's just chapter one. Ready? Chapter two. No, I'm kidding. We're not gonna do, the, the whole idea here is, is that chapter two, it, it starts with a warning, right? If you remember, each little segment is gonna follow with a warning, and that warning is to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, and to kind of make you, you, you think about how you're living your life, and what you're doing, and what you believe, and what you think. And the point of this first warning is because Jesus is so amazing, don't fall away, Don't fall away from the faith, and don't worship anything other than Jesus. Especially don't worship angels, because they are not worthy of worship. Because not only is Jesus greater than the angels, the author reinforces how God has placed everything under Jesus' rule and control. And this is amazing when you think about the fact that Jesus humbled himself and came to earth and lived here on earth so that he could relate to us. And he was made human, fully God, fully man, made like us so that, so that he could relate to us in everything, which is so important for what the author's going to say when he starts talking about Jesus being our high priest. And by using Old Testament references and by relating the message that, he's, that this author is sharing with his audience, he's trying to say, hey, this is what you know and this is what you believe and this is what you accept, but I want to tell you the greater picture, the grander picture of Jesus and how he is better and how our focus should be on him and on him alone. So what does this mean to us today? What's kind of the practical thing? Because we can walk through all of this and kind of go, okay, that's nice. He's talking about angels, but what does it mean to us today? How does this really impact our life? Well, as we said last week, and we'll probably say a few more times through this series, as God has spoken to us through his son, through Jesus, his son, we should listen to him. And so the first question we really have to ask ourselves is will we listen to Jesus? Will we listen to him? And if we do listen to him, will we really accept that what he tells us is better than that which someone else will tell us? Do we really believe and accept that Jesus is truly better? And will it make a difference in our life? Will it be significant enough in our life that we are willing to take action? You see, I would suggest that it's pretty easy to kind of go, okay, yeah, Jesus is better, got it. But I think that's harder to act upon. It's harder for us to actually live that way. If Jesus is truly better, truly better than anything else out there and truly better than anyone else out there, then are we truly relying on him in our daily life? Or are we relying on the things of the world? And this is a tough thing to kind of figure out because we all have needs that need to be met, right? We all have things that that we desire. Uh, uh, We need a a place to live and transportation and clothing and food. We have health concerns and dreams and desires and goals and ambitions. and, And sometimes it's difficult to determine what it means to really make all of that subject to God and and how to surrender all of those things to him? How do we practically trust in God, have our faith in him and our trust in him that he truly is better? And how do we do that where we live, how we live, in the time we live? Well, I don't have the magic eight ball number an answer for you, right? I don't know that I can give you that answer because I don't know that I have it all figured out for myself exactly, But here's where I think it has to begin. I think it's impossible for any of that to happen if we don't first acknowledge that Jesus is better. We have to acknowledge that he is better than anything else and anyone else out there. And once we acknowledge that, then we commit to doing the best we can with what we have right where we are to the best of our ability, realizing that it's not in our own strength and our own power that we will be able to accomplish such things, but it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives, allowing him to transform us in our life that we can grow closer to the Lord and we can impact this world with the message of Jesus and his love for them as he loves us as well. The amazing thing is when you really stop and think about it is is Jesus never called any of us to be perfect, but to place our faith and our trust and our confidence and our hope and our security in him and in him alone. And it's a trust and a confidence and a hope that's not in vain because he demonstrated to us through his life and his death and his life again that he is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our hope. He's worthy of our faith. That's something that we strive to pause each week and to celebrate and to remember. And we try to do that here every week at PCC as we participate in communion. When we take of the bread which represents his body and the juice which represents his blood, we are proclaiming his life and his death and his life again. We're celebrating the fact that he has conquered death and that that gives us hope and life and meaning. And we can rejoice in that, we can celebrate that because of the relationship we have because of what he has done for us in his great love. We celebrate because of his love for us. In just a moment, the ushers are gonna pass the trays, one containing the bread, the other containing the juice, and as they do, we invite you to partake, to celebrate, to remember, to worship the Lord together. I'm gonna pray, and we'll ask the ushers to come forward, and as they pass the trays, you partake, you celebrate, you remember that he is worthy. Father God, thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that you are better. Father, that you are better than than all of the, the things that this world has to offer. And so, Father, I pray that we would, right now, that we would focus on you and on you alone. As we take of the bread and the juice, we would be reminded of you, of your love for us and the way you demonstrated that love for us. Thank you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.